Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by GymDisk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com slash welcome. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Mike Massey of Small Dojo Big Profits and MA BizU fame. Today, he reveals how to make your dojo or fitness business recession-proof. Without further ado, here's Mike Massey. Welcome to the Gym Heroes podcast, Mike Massey. Thank you for coming on. Hey, glad to be here, Josh. Thanks for asking me on. So we've, we've talked before on another podcast, but for the people that are listening to this podcast specifically, um, can you give yourself a little bit of an intro on what you do in the martial arts world, in the martial arts business world, so to speak. Sure. Okay. So my name is Mike Massey and I'm the author of Small Dojo Big Profits, which I wrote in 2003 and uh, released in 2004, I believe. So um, I started off as a martial arts instructor when I was actually a teen. Um, I uh, opened up a school with one of my instructors to get him to start teaching again so I could train with him. And uh, that was my first foray into running schools. And since that time, uh, I had about a 20-year career of running full-time schools. And that, um, after I sold my first school, about halfway through that uh, 20-year stint, I wrote Small Dojo Big Profits and segued into doing martial arts business consulting uh, for martial arts school owners. So I kind of fell backwards into it. After I wrote the book, um, I did a lot of guerrilla marketing for that book because I knew it would be controversial because of the nature of the book and how I wrote it. And it was kind of an angry book. I was a little bit angry at the industry and the state of the industry <laughs> at the time. But um, yeah, I did a lot of grilled marketing to market it and self-published it and uh, developed sort of an underground following. And what I found was people started coming back to me who had purchased the book and read the book. Some of them who hadn't purchased the book actually <laughs> had a lot of piracy issues going on, yeah. but um, they were asking me for advice. So I found myself spending about 10 to 15 hours a week answering questions for free. And I soon realized between, you know, running a uh, publishing business and running schools and doing, you know, the fatherhood stuff and all these other things that I had to do at the time. Of course, I didn't have my kid back then, but uh, he came a few years later. Um, but, you know, being a family man, I, I realized I, that was unsustainable, that I couldn't keep, you know, spending 10 to 15 hours a week giving people free advice. So I started charging for it. Started off with, uh, this was back in the day too, this will tell you, with a forum, a paid mm. forum, you know, the people joined. And then that eventually became uh, Martial Arts Business U or MA Biz U, um, which is how I do most of my coaching and consulting now through that group. Awesome. So you've been a business, you're a veteran now in the, in the, the business consulting industry for martial arts, so to speak. Um, and I've, I've, uh, personally benefited from your products for, for many years now, probably five or six years. Um, so I, I definitely wanted to have you on the podcast because I think that the advice you give is not generic, first of all, <laughs> and you understand the perspective of a small business owner, especially somebody who's doing something on his own dime. And not somebody who's trying to franchise or come in with his life saving, you know, something like that. A lot of gym and even martial arts stuff is kind of oriented towards people that have these really big operations in mind. Yeah. And that's definitely why I want to have you on because that is relevant to what we're talking about today. And that is 
uh, recession proofing your business from um, economic downturns. So I think the first question I have to you is like, what are the biggest issues that martial arts instructors are dealing with in this economy? Okay. Well, first, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, it's always nice to have somebody plug my plug my materials for me. You know, <laughs> I am independent. I don't take any sponsorships or any advertisement or anything from from any um, other businesses and in industry corporations, whatever. So uh, I kind of pride myself on that. And then that kind of allows me to, to um, give people the straight dope on what they need to do to run a small, successful school. So in answer to your question, um, the we're talking about challenges, right? The main challenges instructors are facing? Yeah. So yeah. the economic challenges, um, okay. I guess that's kind of broad. So business challenges, losing money on okay. things they don't need, just all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I would like to talk specifically to the, the, you know, the pandemic, because that I think yeah. is, is creating the main challenges that school owners are facing right now. And I think every instructor is aware of that. Um, every school or instructor, I, I, you know, when uh, the pandemic started and at first I was a bit of a skeptic because um, I had actually um, announced on my page, I was like, Hey guys, everybody's freaking about the pandemic. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. And then I saw some transmissibility um, uh, numbers. You know, I saw the transmission rates and, you know, what, um, you know, uh, epidemiologists were reporting. And then I changed my tone really quick mm -hmm. because my background is in healthcare. I have a degree in, in health sciences and, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of know my way around PubMed. And I knew when I was looking at those numbers, I was like, okay, this is going to be a bit more serious, um, especially because it seemed to have started to spread so quickly in the United States. And when that happened, um, when I saw that happening, I knew that this was going to be an issue. So immediately, you know, I kind of changed my tone and told people, I said, hey, look, you know, you're going to have to start paying attention to this. And uh, this is going to be a big part of what's, uh, you know, challenges that are going to face your dojo over the next year. But none of us really knew. Nobody really knew at that time, you know, back in, gosh, you know, early 2020, um, because we first started seeing, hearing about the virus in 2019, but we really didn't, nothing happened until, you know, spring of 2020. Um, nobody really knew how serious it was going to be. So when the lockdowns happened, you know, I told everybody, I'm like, look, um, they're saying 15 days to flatten the curve. I don't think it's going to be 15 days. I'm like, you guys need to prepare for the long term. And so that's what I started preparing my clients for and started telling people to do. Um, I would say the challenges that school owners are facing right now due to the pandemic and uh, the subsequent um, economic challenges we're facing, supply chain mm -hmm. issues and so forth um, that are causing uh, kind of a ripple effect in the economy. Uh, the main issues first are government overreach. And this is personal opinion, obviously, you know, um, right. I understand that government entities need to do things to keep um, the, uh, to maintain the public welfare, maintain public health and welfare. I understand that. But, um, you know, I've seen clients in uh, certain states, which, you know, I will not name specifically, but, um, you know, certain areas of the country where the local and state governments have cracked down with these draconian measures that have made it impossible for these uh, school owners to survive. And so in areas like that, um, you know, I've seen school owners, you know, lose everything, you know, and right now, you know, they're finally these, uh, these states and local governments are starting to kind of ease up a little bit. So um, these people are going to start over from scratch. And even in states where, 
where uh, in local jurisdictions where the government has not been so draconian in the measures that they have implemented. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm not anti-vax. I'm not, you know, I'm not even really necessarily anti-lockdown in a sense. Um, I just feel like that um, there was, you know, a bit of an overreaction as far as how businesses were treated because the yeah. way small businesses were treated was unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, you could still go to McDonald's and Home Depot, but right. you could go to your local martial arts school in some areas, you know, which is ridiculous. So that government overreach that has hurt a lot of a lot of uh, school owners, even in states like my own, like Texas, where you know the governor, the governor, you know, thankfully, you know, he lifted the uh, lockdowns very very quickly, and you know, we don't have mask mandates and things like that. Um, even in states like my own, you're seeing school owners suffer, and that's simply because you know they lost so much business and so much income and had to revamp and and uh, respond to the lockdown so rapidly. And it was Zoom classes and distance learning and whatnot um, that a lot of those school owners are still only just recovering and they're still reeling from you know from money that they lost and income they lost over that time. So that's the first challenge. The second challenge that's facing school owners right now is inflation. Um, inflation, I think we're seeing rates for inflation that are like, man, I want to say the last report was 6.6% increase year over year, which is crazy. You know, the last time we saw inflation like this was probably during the Carter administration when I was just a kid, that was before your time. Yeah. But, uh, I remember those days and things were rough because inflation was out of control. Um, fuel prices were going sky high and, you know, um, everybody was tightening up their uh, their belts in order to deal with those economic conditions. And we haven't really seen anything like this, even in the in the Great uh, Recession, which, you know, I survived through running a martial arts studio, I almost lost my shirt, to tell you honestly. But uh, we came through it and ended up with a six-figure school. But um, it was rough. But even then, we weren't seeing conditions like we're seeing now. So that's the second thing, because that's impacting school owners um, on the back end of their business, you know, because when inflation increases, when um, supply chain issues cause inflation, okay, what mm-hmm. you got to understand is, is that everybody is going to pass those costs on. So landlords are going to pass those costs on to renters in the form of higher rent when people uh, renew their lease and whatnot, or they're just going to increase the triple nets because in a lot of commercial leases, the way these commercial leases are written, these landlords can increase the triple nets, you know, with very little justification. So you're going to see school owners facing that. Um, also, energy costs are increasing. So that's also another overhead cost. And then vendors, you know, um, vendors that supply martial arts school owners with equipment and so forth. You know, I mean, when their cost increase and their profit margins diminish, obviously, they have to raise their rates and they have to raise their prices and pass that on to school owners. So that's that's the second thing. And then the third challenge that's facing school owners right now is the shrinking discretionary income that consumers are seeing. You know, um, a lot of people during the pandemic, those who remained employed were able to save up money because they just weren't spending money. There wasn't anything to spend money on. You know, people were stuck at home. Um, They weren't able to go out to eat. They weren't able to go to the movies and so forth. So people just tucked away money, which is fine. Um, When the economy opened up again, you saw people start to spend a lot of money very quickly. And that was good. That helped a lot of small businesses like, you know, like martial arts schools, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is that money's not going to last forever. And what I'm hearing from a lot of families now locally, and I live in a pretty affluent area, but I'm still seeing people complain about, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, grocery prices, fuel prices, energy prices, everything is going up. 
And uh, here in the Austin area, you know, uh, the cost of living is extremely high anyway for the area. Um, rent prices are extremely high. You know, you can't find a home. Gosh, that you know, we were lucky to find a home in the in the area that we live in. We moved to this area for the, uh, you know, for the better schools and so forth for our kid. We were really fortunate to find a house in this area. Now, what we're seeing is is that the home that we moved into four years ago, what we paid for our home, homes that are half the size of the home, like half the footprint, half the size much smaller mm-hmm. lot and everything. People are paying the same price that we paid four years ago for homes wow. that are 50% of what we got in a home when we purchased. So, you know, when you see, um, when you see families that are um, facing a diminishing discretionary income, you know, that their, their family budgets are getting tighter and tighter, you know, it's going to be harder to get those people to spend money on, um, you know, something that is, you know, not necessarily a necessity, a household necessity, you know, to spend money on recreational activities. So that's the third challenge that school owners are facing right now. Excellent. And I know that you were talking about uh, diminishing profit margins. Like Profit margins are razor thin enough when you're running a martial arts school for most people. Um, they can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say though, and I'm going to be completely honest with you here. Um, that's kind of, when you say that, yeah, I have to point out that that's kind of um, people say that because there's kind of a poverty mentality in the martial arts industry. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this is coming from the guy who labeled himself, you know, that branded himself as a small digit big profits guy. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, I will say that in the martial arts industry, there's actually financially a very low barrier to entry in uh, opening up a martial arts studio. Yeah. Because when you open up a martial arts studio, let's face it. All you need is enough square footage to put down some mats. So you need four walls, you need a bathroom, you need an office and some mats. Okay. That's it. That's, that's all that you need. Um, It doesn't cost a lot to open up a martial arts studio. When you compare that to say opening up like a gym, if you were even going to open up like a small gym, like a personal trainer's gym, you're going to have to invest, you know, $10,000 easily in fitness equipment to open Mm -hmm. that place up easily. And that's, that's on the low end. I'm, I'm talking maybe like, you know, you could spend $30,000 and not, and not bat an eye. And I know this because I was actually partners in a gym. Uh, it was a uh, women's gym franchise that I opened up with a friend of mine. And, and I was partners in that for a short time. Um, so it's, it's expensive. If you're looking to open up uh, a restaurant, for example, I mean, just the build out cost and the equipment, you know, hundred, $200,000 without question, easily, easily to open up a, a restaurant, even a small restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, your profit margins can actually be really high in a martial arts studio if you have enough students. The problem is, though, is because there's a very low barrier to entry in the industry, you have a lot of people jumping into business, opening up martial arts studios that really haven't done their due diligence and that don't have the education or experience to run a school successfully. And uh, that's why you end up with people, you know, crying in the industry about, you know, it's so hard to run a martial arts school. You know, my profit margins are so low, this and that. And, and it's really not because the business is that hard. It's a very simple business, low barrier to entry. We don't really have high overhead cost in comparison to other industries and other businesses. Mm-hmm. It's just that people are not very good at running businesses that get into this industry. And it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I got you. It's, I remember from, from I, I, I remember from, well, I ran my own club for a little while, but uh, I didn't charge enough, first of all, but I I know from working as an instructor at several schools for for quite a few years that um, 
they're just not charging enough. They they were choosing locations that are too uh, uh, way too expensive um, yeah. or too big or both, yeah. and they're just bleeding out all of that that money uh, <laughs> that they could have been taking home as as profit. So yeah. that kind of leads me into my next question, and that is as as the economy sees another downturn. How can we? How can martial arts schools insulate their businesses against this, and even future market depressions? Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is that what we're actually seeing is, is we're actually seeing a uh, a kind of a split um, economic downturn. Okay. So what we're seeing is is this kind of bifurcated economic um, uh, period where. Mm-hmm. People at the top, the very, very wealthy people are are acquiring even more and more wealth, whereas the middle class is seeing their wealth, not only their their income and their buying power power with their dollars because of inflation, but also their overall household wealth shrinking. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, I just like to point that out because, you know, it's not that the economy is completely taking a downturn. It isn't. It's just that the middle class is not necessarily um, faring well under right. the current conditions. Okay. Yeah. Which directly affects us because, you know, if you think about it, most of our clients are going to be middle-class people. Absolutely. So how can a, how can a martial arts studio owner insulate their business against an economic downturn? In other words, recession proof their business, which is something that I talk about quite a lot. Um, so the first step is you want to set your school up for success and setting your school up for success from the beginning involves planning. You have to plan ahead and you have to look at things realistically. Um, I will say that one of the worst curses that can possibly um, affect a, uh, a new school owner is to have too much money on their hands, to have too much financing. Mm. And one of the worst consulting clients that I ever dealt with was a guy who had tons of money. He yeah. had a family member or somebody that had given him like, I don't know. I mean, it was, it seemed to me like a lot of money. He never gave me the exact amount, but I knew that he dumped probably, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars easily into his studio. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. And that the guy just sick. kept bleeding. He just kept bleeding money. And I, I kept trying to tell the guy, I'm like, look, man, you, you know, quit spending money here, quit spending money there, you know, focus on this. And the guy just wouldn't listen. And eventually they went out of business, which is unfortunate. Um, but, um, you know, on the other hand, when you have somebody who has very limited resources, who's bootstrapping their school, they have to be a bit wiser about the decisions they make in their business. And the first decisions that you're going to make that are going to impact your business are going to be in the planning phase. And the planning phase is where you decide, you know, what's my school footprint going to be? What's my square footage going to be? Where am I going to locate in, in the community? You know, um, how am I going to find a location that's going to allow me to work within a budget that's still going to be a successful location that's going to help me succeed as a school owner? Um, you know, what type of hours am I going to run? What type of programs am I going to teach? You know, which, you know, which market am I going to go after? Which is something we were talking about before the podcast, you know, with your current, you know, venture as well. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all decisions that are going to impact you over the long term. You also need to think about your marketing budget, how you're going to market, you know, um, what you're going to do to market your studio, um, how much money you're going to spend on marketing every month, which should be one of your biggest expenditures when you're first starting a studio, should also be one of the the um, largest, uh, I guess you could say, portions of your time should be spent, division of your time should be spent on marketing when you're first opening a studio and so forth. 
So planning ahead and planning out what you're going to do, having a good, solid business plan. And I'm not talking about one of those business plans that you've got to take, you need, that you need that's like, you know, uh, you know, 60, 100 pages thick to take to a bank to get a business loan. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just having a plan, a general um, plan and strategy for your business that, that makes sense and that's going to set your business up for success. So really, that's the first step um, is pre-planning. Now, for I know that doesn't help school owners that are already in business. You know, somebody who's already in business is already struggling is like, well, you know, that's great if I was starting over again five or 10 years ago, but that doesn't help me now. So other things that you can do to recession-proof your business, um, you talked, um, you actually mentioned this a minute ago about not charging enough, school owners not charging enough. Yep. And that is a huge problem in our industry. What, um, what I'll see is, is I'll see school owners who are still charging rates they were charging back in the 1980s and 1990s, you know, guys that have been around for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's ridiculous because, you know, look at the inflation right now. I mean, we're facing what, like, you know, 5% inflation on average, something like that, you know, I mean, the inflation rates are extremely high right now. And yet school owners, most of them out there are probably afraid to raise their rates, but that's something that you have to do. Because just like any other business, I guarantee you, it's funny. My wife took my kid to McDonald's the other day because he wanted McDonald's, you know, and we don't eat there very often, but, you know, it's kind of a treat for the kids. So every once in a while, I'll be like, okay, you can eat some junk food. And uh, she came back home and she's like, I can't believe I spent 20 bucks for two people at McDonald's. And I'm like, what? The dollar menu is no more, huh? And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is. You know, these big corporations, they know that, you know, when, uh, you know, their cost increase, they're going to pass it on to consumers. Yeah. Other businesses are doing the same thing. Why martial arts studios don't see it as a necessity to do this is beyond me. And I, you know, I, I think it has to do partially with martial arts school owners are people, generally speaking, that care about their customers. They care about their students because the relationship that an instructor has with a student is so very different from the relationship that any other service provider has with their clients, you know, and you can look at any other industry. And I'm going to tell you um, that martial arts school owners have a much different relationship and in some ways, a much more intimate relationship with their clients. And in many ways that hurts us because we start to look at our students as, you know, number one, um, people that we are protecting, you know, that are kind mm -hmm. of under our care in a sense, you know, yeah. um, many times I look at my students, almost like my children, you know? And so when you get too close to those people in uh, allow your relationship to go from a professional only relationship to a personal relationship, it makes it very, very difficult for you to, um, you know, do things like raise rates on your students, you know? And so as an instructor, you start to feel guilty about that stuff. You're like, gosh, you know, um, you know, I know so-and-so right now is struggling because, you know, they only have one income. They went from two incomes to one income. And I know, you know, such and such over here, you know, he just, you know, got his, got a new job because, you know, he was laid off during, you know, the, the lockdowns and so forth. And all these things are going through your mind. You're thinking about your, your students and your clients, and you're putting them first before the welfare of your business. And I hate to say this, but you know, a little bit of kindness is a good thing, but too much kindness can kill you when you're in, in business for yourself as a small business owner. So I think that's what happens with a lot of uh, martial arts studio owners is that we're just too kind. And that kindness, you know, that will, that, that desire to help other people, which is the reason why most martial arts instructors get into this business in the first place, um, it causes us to shoot ourselves in the foot. So the second thing I will say again, I'll reiterate this, that school learners need to do to recession-proof their dojos is to 
intelligently raise their rates. You know, and that's something that I don't have the time to get into on a podcast like this, but mm-hmm. it is a subject that I I talk about extensively with my own uh, coaching clients and in some of my materials. So um, we can talk about that later at the end of the podcast. So that's the second thing. So the third thing is reducing overhead. And uh, if you're just starting off or if you're planning your school, it's easy to reduce your overhead because you can set up your school for success from the beginning, which is something that I talk about small digit big profits. Um, which is setting up your studio to where you're not spending a huge amount of money on your overhead when you first start off. Um, it's simply too much risk to take on the beginning. But if you already have a studio that's open, there are still ways that you can reduce your overhead. And there are numerous ways to do that. Number one is um, if your studio is is overly large. And I would say a studio that's overly large, um, pretty much anything over 3000 square feet is probably more space than most school owners need. And people will argue that with me till you know, <laughs> kingdom come. But I can tell you after having been in this industry, you know, I've been in the martial arts involved in martial arts. I'm, I'm closing in on the end of my fourth decade in a few years in martial arts. So I've been in the industry as a professional for 30 years. And I can tell you when you're in the industry, as long as I have, and you spend time behind the scenes with people, speaking with people and having candid conversations, not public conversations, but candid conversations, you start to hear things. And you start to hear things about school owners that you thought were extremely successful and wealthy, that you thought their schools were, you know, these huge schools that were just profit machines that weren't. And you start to find out that these school owners that have these huge schools with these big, huge square footage and, you know, like, you know, 800, 1,000, 1,200 students, you start to find out that those schools actually had very narrow profit margins and that the school owners weren't earning that much more in profit every year than somebody with maybe like, you know, a 2,500 square foot school with 250 students. And uh, it's eye-opening when you hear these stories. And, and I, man, I've heard them over the years over and over and over again. And I'm not going to name names because I don't do that. It's unprofessional. But I will say that those stories are out there. They exist. I've heard them. I've heard him secondhand and firsthand. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have a school that uh, you feel like you've got more square footage than you need, and if it's more than 3000 square feet, you probably do. I would consider downsizing. You know, I would consider renegotiating with my landlord or moving to a new location. So that's the first thing. Um, The second area in which you can reduce your overhead is usually payroll. And uh, honestly, most small school owners, they probably don't have enough help, but for those who are spending, you know, way too much on payroll that you're, if you're paying your employees more than you're taking home in, you have a school that is 300 students or less, and you're paying your employees more than you're taking home, your payroll is probably too steep. And mm-hmm. so that might be an area where you can cut back on. Now, I will say this, um, in today's workplace environment, I guess you could say the, uh, the uh, workers marketplace um, it's, you know, workers are expecting higher pay. They're expecting, um, better conditions. And so it may be difficult for you to cut back on payroll just now, but there are ways that you can do that. So that is the second area that I would look at. The third area I would look at are other fixed costs. So, um, you have fixed costs in, in rent and, uh, of course, in your own salary and so forth, you know, um, and those are areas that you can't cut back on, but there are other fixed costs that you have in your business as well. And uh, you would look through your fixed cost and then also your variable cost in your business, you know, uh, cost and overhead, you know, expenses that change from month to month. Um, Say, for example, you know, um, let's say a school owner, you know, typically runs specials or special offers 
where they're giving away like a free uniform with every new student, right? Um, I've heard from instructors now that they're having a hard time finding uniforms, which really kind of sucks, you know, because of the yeah. supply chain issues. But in normal times, in regular times, you know, you might be able to find a different supplier that would be able to get you uniforms, you know, at a reduced rate or maybe buy in bulk or something like that, you know. Um, you could also look at doing things like, you know, changing your uh, vendors or service providers for different things like communications, internet, you know, and so forth. Um, you could also look at installing, um, you know, energy efficient uh, technology in your studio that will help you save money on, you know, heating and air conditioning and so forth. There are a million different ways where you can cut expenses in a martial arts studio. And the way that you're going to do that is, is you're going to sit down um, over the Thanksgiving holidays or over the Christmas holidays is a great time to do this, especially over the Christmas holidays at the end of the year when things slow down for most school owners to sit down and go through your expenses to look at your profit and loss report. And if you can't print a profit and loss report because you're not doing proper bookkeeping on your school, um, that is an indication that you need to start doing proper bookkeeping with your school and keeping books on a regular basis. You know, you need to set up QuickBooks for your school or something like that, or get an accountant or a bookkeeper to help you with it. Um, but you need to look at your PL and go through it and look where your expenditures are out of control. And then you need to go through in those areas where you see your expenditures are out of control. You need to go through that at a granular level and look at every single expense in your PL report for that particular area of your business to find out where that money's going and if there's places where you can plug those holes. So that is the third way, reducing overhead. So the fourth way that a school owner can recession-proof their dojo after setting it up for success, um, raising their rates, reducing overhead, is by learning to be a better marketer and salesperson. And that is so, so, so important. I think in the martial arts industry, um, I think with a lot of school owners, a lot of instructors who are, um, you know, kind of like, you know, they're my kind of instructors that are really hardcore and that are really serious about their art and serious about what they're teaching. And they want to, they don't want to run, uh, I hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it. They don't want to run a McDojo or, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want their school to be a, uh, you know, a child, just a childcare or, you know, whatever. Okay. You know, in other words, they, in their minds, they're telling themselves they don't want to be a sellout. Okay. So yeah. for those types of instructors, um, the words marketing and sales are kind of dirty words. They have a negative connotation for a lot of these people. And what I'm going to tell people who are listening right now, instructors and school owners or potential school owners out there, is that um, you've got to get rid of that stinking thinking if you're going to be successful in this industry, because there is no small business, no small business out there that is successful that does not market themselves successfully on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, and that does not make a sale every day that they are in business. And, you know, it's funny, um, one of my old high school buddies, Tom Whitaker, who's been around the industry for forever, he's actually the first guy I ever advised on opening a martial arts studio because, you know, he saw that I was running a studio, you know, back in the 90s and saw that I was fairly successful and came to me as a, as a you know, a good friend and said, hey, Mike, you know, give me some advice, you know, how do I get started? So he was the first guy that I actually kind of, you know, kind of coached through the process of opening a martial arts studio in a sense. And uh, he's been very successful. As a matter of fact, his success in his schools has, has far surpassed um, what I've done in my own schools. Wow. Um, but he told me once, he said, Mike, you know, he said, think about this, you know, do you know of any other business where uh, they, they can consider themselves successful if they don't make a sale every day? I said, yeah, that's a good <laughs> point, Tom. Huh? 
Yeah, that is a really good point. And I think a lot of martial arts school owners, we program ourselves to think that if we go a week without enrolling a new student, that somehow that's okay. That no, it's, yeah. it's no big deal. You know, I'll average it out over the month or whatever, or, you know, my enrollment's still good on the floor, even though I didn't enroll anybody this week, it's okay. Well, guess what? If enough of those weeks pass where you're not enrolling people, when you're not making a sale, pretty soon you're going to start to lose clientele on the back end because you all know retention. Attrition is a big issue for martial arts school owners because yeah. most martial arts schools are somewhat of a revolving door as far as the students they enroll and students that are leaving. It's kind of just the nature of the business. Um, part of that has to do with customer service, though, to be honest. But um, if you're not enrolling new students all the time, your, your enrollment is going to be shrinking pretty rapidly. And, uh, you know, that's something that we need to consider. And I will say this as well, is that in, you know, some 17, 18 years of, of coaching martial arts school owners over the last couple of decades, um, that the majority of the people that I coach who are struggling in their martial arts studios, 80% of the issues, the challenges that they face in their business could be solved with better sales and marketing because that would increase their cash flow immediately. So cash flow really is the answer to most of the issues and challenges that martial arts school owners face. And the way that you solve that is being better at marketing and better at selling memberships. So, so that's the fourth uh, part of my answer. That's a lot to digest. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I talk for a long time. I kind of like to hear the sound of my own voice as my wife says, but, but uh, yeah, hopefully I answered that in, uh, in enough detail to help people out there. No, I, yeah, the, this is, this is excellent. I just want to, so I think that um, you touched on a lot of things I wanted to revisit for just a second to, un- to help people like me who listen to tons of podcasts, read tons of articles about how to make it in the fitness business, in the martial arts business. And they hear lots of very uh, uh, great sounding advice, but aren't sure how it works mechanically. And you mentioned... Um, you mentioned that how our kindness can really kill us. And this is a huge thing in, in really across even, even just regular marketing podcasts for any type of industry. All you hear is care about the client and uh, uh, help people out. And you do want to do that. But I think that that advice can be misleading because it, it leads you to think that it's up to you to constrict your own business to help your clients instead of get using your, your service to help them and, and letting them manage how it is they're going to support what it is that you offer, especially a martial arts school, more so than a gym, mm-hmm. is a community. Yeah. And people who are part of a community, who benefit from a community, who are get reciprocal uh, <laughs> care from the community are always supporting the community in some way. And with a martial arts business, that the primary way you do that is is uh, monetarily. You give them money to be a part of that community, and I don't think there's anything dirty about that. Um, if if they care about the community, if they care about what it is they get from the community, they they will do what they need to do to remain a member of that community. Yeah. Well, I I will say this, not to cut you off, but I will say this. There's a lot of soundbite coaching that goes on out there. What I call coaching by platitude, which is where, um, you know, consultants, coaches, they get into the consulting and coaching business 
without actually understanding any type of um, framework mm-hmm. for how to deliver information to other people in a way that makes sense. Um, you understand this because you have a master's degree in uh, what is a master's degree in what's your master's in? Oh, teaching and learning, (laughs) teaching and learning. There you go. Okay. So you understand that, you know, there are certain ways to impart information on other people. You have to organize in a certain way and so forth. And I think what you have is, is you have a lot of people out there that are like, you know, um, they're listening to Gary Vee and Grant Cardone, you know, and they're talking about, you know, crushing it and 10 Xing it and all this other BS. And, you know, I mean, that's great for Gary Vee and Grant Cardone. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, they jump into the consulting industry and, uh, you know, they don't have anything more to offer people than sound bites and platitudes. And so, yeah. so you get this kind of coaching approach out there where people are just kind of like, yeah, you need to 10 exit, you know, you need to grind, 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 you know, and, you know, honestly, that type of coaching doesn't help anybody because it's not giving anybody any actionable, actionable advice. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a epidemic in, in the industry, but um, getting back to your question about, how studio owners can deal with um, their desire to be, I guess you could say um, their altruism, you know, their desire mm-hmm. to be altruistic toward their clients and balance that with uh, running a business is that you have to remove your emotions from your business decisions. And this is something that's difficult for a lot of us to do. Um, whether martial artists want to admit this or not, many of us are pretty emotional people. You know, we're, we're people that are kind of, I would say martial artists because of, you know, the type of knowledge seekers that we are, the type of wisdom seekers that we are. Um, We tend to be a little bit more in tune with our emotions than the average person out there, which sounds funny, but, you know, I think it kind of goes back to that kind of uh, warrior scholar, warrior monk type of, uh, you know, uh, personalities that many of us have, where we tend to be a little bit more contemplative and a little bit more self-aware than the average person. So for that type of personality, it can be difficult to divorce your emotions from your uh, logic and decision-making. But, you know, um, one of the best things you can do for your business is approach your business like Spock, you know, (laughs) approach everything from a very logical viewpoint, just kind of go, okay, you know, um, you know, if, if I didn't have any emotion involved in this and I I was just making the decision based on the numbers, what would I do? And see, numbers don't lie. You know, there's an old saying in the martial arts, uh, you know, not the martial arts industry, but in martial arts itself, specifically in combat sports, the mat doesn't lie. The ring doesn't lie. You know, when you go in there, when you go on the mats or you go in the ring, you know, and somebody's trying to, you know, twist your arm off or take your head off, you know, your skill is laid bare for everyone to see, you know, and that's the great thing about combat sports is that, you know, you know exactly where you stand as far as your skill level in combat sports, which is awesome. Um, And that's why I respect combat martial artists. In the same sense, I respect good business owners who are willing and able to divorce their emotions from their business decisions and make decisions in their business based on logic and numbers alone. And when you start tracking numbers and metrics in your business and start looking at the metrics, start looking at KPIs in your business and go, you know, oh gosh, you know, I, you know, I'm enrolling only six people a month, but I'm losing 10 people a month, you know, I mean, that, that'll, you know, it has a, a certain uh, pucker factor to it. You know, when you look at the numbers and you look at them and, and, and nothing else, I mean, that's when you see those numbers in your business and you realize that the numbers are telling you if things don't change in your business, you're going to be out of business in a year. It tends to have an impact on the way you make decisions in your business. So that's my advice is for martial arts school owners out there to, yes, we want to help people. Okay. But what you got to remember is, is if you shut your doors and you're closed, you're not helping anyone. 
Okay. Going out of business doesn't help any of your students. All right. Yeah. Because basically what you're doing is, is you're abandoning your students, abandoning your students through your own failure. Okay. And I, you know, it's, it's a little blunt for me to say that, but it's true. So you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your students to be better at business, to track your metrics, to track your numbers, to look at the numbers and uh, look at them unemotionally and make decisions based on your numbers and not on your emotions. Absolutely. Look at the numbers. You have to retrain yourself to think about martial arts in a different way than you do as a martial artist. Yeah. If you, and even speaking as somebody who is, who's mostly done that I've worked professionally in marketing for, for a few years now. And sometimes those beliefs that you have as a martial artist trickle back in when you're trying to put together a business plan, mm-hmm. when you're trying to think in, like a business, a business person. And uh, when you looking at the numbers is an excellent way psychologically to get, you know, open it up in a, in a sandbox, so to speak, yeah. the, all the stuff about your students, all that stuff, put it aside and think about what do I want to make as a martial arts instructor? What do I need to survive? How do I keep this business open and just look at the numbers? And then once you figure that out, then you can approach your students instead of allowing, um, you know, you talked about the, the way we, the, we think about our students as coming under our care. I mean, we, it's a very paternalistic or maternalistic thing to be, you know, teaching about self-defense, anti-bullying. So you, that sort of inclines you to think about your students in that way. And so you want to hear about them triumphing over the bullies, over these, these adverse life situations that they come through. And that, you know, because you're human, mm-hmm. that's going to bias the way you think about them. And you don't want to make hike up prices and make things harder for them because you care about them. Um, yeah. But you'll find probably most of your students are willing to pay more. If, yeah, if you're, if you're delivering on your promises and promise delivery yeah. is something I talk about a lot in my coaching programs and with my coaching clients mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, we have to deliver on the promises that we make in our marketing. If we're telling people that, you know, we're going to, you know, teach their children to have more discipline, respect, to get better grades and so forth, you damn well better be delivering on those promises in your classroom. And the same thing goes with adult classes. If you're telling people that they're going to lose weight, they're going to get in shape, they're going to be more confident, they're going to have less stress um, and so on. You got to be delivering on those promises. But if you are delivering on your promises, people are going to pay for that because you got to remember people buy based on emotional and not rational reasons. Okay. They justify after the purchase with rational reasons, right? Mm-hmm. They rationalize it after the purchase so they don't have buyer's remorse, but they buy based on emotional reasons. And what martial arts school owners need to understand is that. People have to continue every single month when that payment comes through and hits that person's account, they have to re-rationalize the decision and guess what's going to be stronger than rationalization because rationalization is going to tell the person, you know, if I cut out this $150 a month or $200 a month martial arts tuition payment, you know, um, I could get a nicer car, you know, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But emotion is going to tell them, you know what? Um, I love the feeling that I get when I leave class every day, or I love the look on my child's face when they're out there on the floor at the end of class and they're beaming because of 
you know, whatever they did during class that day. And my child's so happy and so much more confident now than they were when they first started martial arts lessons. That's what's going to keep them continuing to pay that tuition. And you know what? It's also going to allow people to rationalize paying a little bit more for tuition as well. So, so it's something that we have to consider as uh, martial arts school owners. You know, if you are and let's look at this on the flip side too. If you're delivering that type of service, the type of service that changes lives, why wouldn't you want to charge what you're worth? Now, moreover, I will say this from the client's perspective, um, everybody needs to think about what their ideal client is. And I know when I first started teaching martial arts, my goal was to help children. I had had a very difficult childhood and uh, it affected me and impacted me into my adulthood. And martial arts training, it helped me deal with that and helped me become a better person and a stronger person and kind of become the person that I wanted to be. And I wanted to pass those lessons on to children, you know, also to my adult students, but mostly to children. That was my, mm -hmm. that was my mission when I first started teaching martial arts. And part of that mission was I wanted to make my services available to underprivileged kids. And I did. I did that through several ways, which I explained in my books. But what I found very quickly was, is that a, a business runs on cash. Okay. Simple as that. And uh, because of that, you have to make sure that you're attracting the types of clients, the type of client that can actually pay you good money every month to keep your doors open. If you want to help those other people that maybe can't afford your services, right? So guess what? People who are very successful that have money that can pay you what you're worth, they don't respect broke people. It's as simple as that. No yep. successful person is going to look on somebody who's broke and go, wow, I really admire that person. They're not going to. They might admire someone because of um, their accomplishments, their professional accomplishments, but they're not going to look at them, you know, when they're struggling every month to pay their bills and they're driving a crappy car and all this stuff. They're not going to look at that person and, and respect them for that. You know, so if right. you're if you're saying that you're going to teach people how to be more successful in life, if you're marketing yourself not only as a martial arts instructor, but also as a sort of success coach, you better be successful. Absolutely. And I, this is this has been one of the hardest limiting beliefs for me to shed because if you've never experienced it before, it's hard to believe. But if you don't charge enough, people will psychologically devalue the product that you offer. So you you might lose really the best students that you could have, the students that you really want, you could lose them because you don't charge enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a perfect example of that, I was talking with a local martial arts instructor here that just opened up a studio near me. And, you know, I always like to talk to the other instructors in town, um, you know, for various reasons, you know, I like to be on, on, you know, uh, basically good terms with them. You know, I don't want yeah. them to see me as, you know, as uh, the enemy. And so I was talking with this guy and I was kind of giving some advice and I said, you know, um, what you got to understand is, you know, and we were talking about teaching private lessons. I said, you know, in any community you move into, I said, I, and I've seen this in affluent communities that I've owned schools in and in communities that were lower middle income. Mm -hmm. um, there is always going to be a certain percentage of the local population who are willing to spend from four to 10 times what you're charging in monthly tuition with you each and every month. It's just a simple fact. And, uh, you know, Perry Marshall talks about this in his 80-20 book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing. It's a good book. I recommend everybody should read it. But um, there's always going to be a certain percentage of your clientele that are willing to give you more money if you'll only ask for it and give them a reason to give you that money. And uh, it's interesting because the way that I charge clients for private lessons is much different from the way other business owners charge. Most school owners, and this is what this school owner was doing, they will sell like a block of private lessons or something. They'll give a discount for selling a block of private lessons. 
And yeah. you know, that doesn't stabilize your income. What I do with my private clients is, is I make them subscribe to taking private lessons from me. And I have had some very affluent people train with me, especially through the pandemic, because people were looking for things to do um, that wouldn't think anything of dropping, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks a month on private lessons, you know, just at the drop of a hat, because not only did they have the money, but they saw the worth in what I was offering. And, you know, you're not going to get people to see your worth if um, if you're a struggling business owner. So, you know, yeah, I, I've never heard of that before, of the subscription thing. Um, all the conventional wisdom I've seen is to, to charge like rotating block subscription, not subscription, but block uh, yeah. sets of, of uh, private lessons. It's um, a horrible way to sell private lessons because you are, <laughs> what you're doing is, and I'm getting off on a tangent here, but what you're doing is, is you're programming your client um, to um, basically to treat your business as an a la carte thing. You yeah. Know, I'll just take what I want when I want it. No, that's a horrible way to establish a relationship with the client. You know, yeah. you need to set the standards for your clients and, and set, you know, you just set um, basically the uh, the ground rules from the beginning and kind of set expectations and so forth. And the way that you get them to pay you is one of the ways that you do that. So, but yeah. a lot of martial arts school owners out there have a hard time asking for money. I understand that. Um, my wife went through that when she first started, uh, after we got married, she came and worked in my school. She would help me out. And then she had a hard time asking for money. And uh, so one day I, you know, I told her, I said, honey, you know, you're really not asking for their money. You're asking for our money because when those people are in here and they're taking classes and they're not paying us, then they're stealing from us. They're stealing our money. They're taking money off the table. And boy, that turned my wife around really quick. All of a sudden her <laughs> eyes lit up and she's like, oh, you're right. You know? Yeah. And after that, she had no problem asking people for money. So you kind of got to change your thinking around a little bit and understand that when somebody's in your studio and they're taking classes from you, um, you know, when you ask them for money, it's not, their money you're asking for it's your money yeah tra trading trading has always been an honorable thing it's been humans have always done it and uh, as long as you i think that instructors don't understand what their promises are and that's an entirely different podcast episode mm -hmm. but they don't understand what their promises are so they don't understand when they're delivering now if they understand right. what it is and they can measure delivery i think that a lot of the trouble of asking for what they're worth will resolve itself um, yeah. Maybe not all of it, but most of it will resolve itself. And certainly, certainly the people that you serve will have no problem because <laughs> you, you, have, you have done exactly what you promised them to do. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I have one more question before we begin to sure. close out. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on starting an online program to have to uh, just like... I don't know that lockdowns are going to happen again, but in the event it does, having an online program that's maybe not as big as some of the other things out there, but just has a few people that are getting what what they can get out of, a, of an, an online program. Um, maybe traditional programs are more conducive, conducive to this, but how do you feel about that? It's been the rage over the last year. I don't know that many of them have stayed around. Do you think that's a, a sustainable um, way to, to, to help your business or is it kind of a fad? Yeah, I don't think it's for everyone. And the yeah. reason why is because not everyone has the um, charisma or the ability to deliver curriculum. They don't have the understanding of how to deliver curriculum effectively through a distance learning program, you know. But, you know, one of my instructors who um, I have, you know, been following his teachings for, you know, gosh, man, since I owned my second school in the early 2000s is Burton Richardson. And that's a big part of his business model that he, you know, yeah. he teaches people. Um, through distance learning. And that's a huge part of his business model. And he's very successful at it. And because of the way that he delivers curriculum and because of the 
expectations, you know, the performance standards he has for his students. Um, he has some, he's turned out some really phenomenal students. Yeah. Now, granted, all these people are going and they're training with them in person, as well as, you know, using his, you know, his courses and, you know, his, um, you know, online training uh, resources and so forth. Um, but man, he turns out some really phenomenal students using distance learning. But, you know, on the other hand, Bert's been at it for a long time. He's a phenomenal martial artist. He's an absolute encyclopedia of knowledge. Um, and so he's very good at delivering information, you know, via video presentations and online courses and so forth. Um, for the martial arts instructor who is charismatic, who can present well on screen, who understands, you know, um, you know, camera angles and videography and so forth, and uh, who has the wherewithal to either learn or already has the marketing skills and the technical skills to set up an online course, which is easier than ever now. Okay. Why shouldn't you do that? Why shouldn't you set up online learning for your students or even for distance students who are, you know, you know, several states away or whatever across the country? Um, if you're not in some way compromising your integrity in doing so. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there was a question that came up in my small dojo big profits group, the private group that I run, uh, that's the free group on Facebook. And mm -hmm. I think you were involved in that conversation where somebody said, you know, um, how do you feel about giving people belts when they're learning online? And I said, man, you got to be careful about that. You know, maybe the first few belts, maybe like the beginner belts, like the first two belts. But then after that, I think you kind of need to see people in person to be able to give them rank. I said, certainly you don't want to be giving people advanced underbelts or a black belt, you know, through the mail. And, uh, you know, some people bristled at that, you know, because they're like, you know, well, you know, I had the student and, you know, he trained, you know, during the pandemic, you know, completely online. And when he came back, you know, he was better than ever, you know, they're, they're, you know, we were amazed at how much their skill had improved. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But, you know, what if that student's an outlier, you know, and I would say yeah. they probably are, um, you know, we martial arts instruction and the transmission of, of knowledge in the martial arts is also in some ways, the transmission of skill. Now you can't transmit skill to somebody else directly, but mm -hmm. you can help them learn skill, you know, directly. Okay. You can guide them to learn skill correctly in a direct manner. I don't feel like that's something that you can do completely online. It's just, it's yeah. just not. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't think you can do it completely online, but through a combination of online learning and in-person learning, I think that somebody can become a heck of a martial artist. Yeah. A heck of a martial artist. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I have a friend that does online training and he's done a, a really good job. There's a few things and it's going to depend on the learner. I think that most of of good good instruction can be done online, but feedback there's a, there's a level of feedback that you just can't give. Yeah, uh, you know, over an asynchronous communication, and you can try to do, you know, you can try to do the the live coaching through Zoom or whatever, but it, sometimes you have to do more hands-on than that. Like yeah. <laughs> there's, there's yeah, a, be there. yeah. Sometimes you just have to be there. Some the, the video might not be great or the lighting might, you know, you just, you never know. You can get multiple angles at, at a given time. You don't have to instruct them to turn and all that kind of stuff. There's just stuff that you take for granted when you're teaching as a, an instructor that you have to totally, it, it's a pain to do, you know, on a zoom consult consulting yeah. call or a private lesson or something like that. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it, what it sounds like you're saying is, it's something, it, if you can do it, 
if you understand how to do it, it's something you should definitely do, but mm-hmm. be cognizant of some of the learning pitfalls, the teaching and learning pitfalls. Yeah. And you also have to understand the scope of what you're, of what you're offering and who you're offering it to. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a brand new first degree black belt that's opening up your first school, you know, you probably don't want to create an online video course presenting it to the world at large. Um, purporting to be an expert at Taekwondo and, you know, ranking people online or that's probably a mistake, but recording your curriculum for your students and putting it online and charging them an additional fee for access to that, no matter how you decide to do it, or possibly even having your curriculum online and having students that train with you for a time and that move to a different state or, you know, a different area that can't train with you directly anymore, giving them a way to continue their training and maybe come in once or twice a year and check up with you and stuff and, you know, and get progress checks and, you know, direct training from you and so forth. Maybe that's not a bad thing. Now, if you're, you know, a uh, high level black belt, uh, somebody who's, you know, uh, an instructor who is a, has a very specific, uh, I'm going to say very specific skill set, referencing <laughs> Liam Neeson, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But somebody who has a very specific skill set that is unique and that you are considered to be an expert in your field. Um, why wouldn't you want to put your material online and create online courses for people. It doesn't mean you've got to certify people online. It doesn't mean you've got to give belt ranks online, but you can still deliver the material and sell that to people and, and have it be an extra stream of income for yourself. I don't understand where the resistance is in delivering instruction online or delivering courses yeah. to people. Um, I, th- I think people automatically assume that it's an either or thing, you know, that, that, you know, if, if you, or that it, <laughs> The people are doing both. They automatically assume that if you have an online course, you're automatically giving people black belts online. Okay. The, those two are not mutually exclusive. You know? it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, black or white. It's like, you know, you can deliver online instruction and and not be giving people belts through the mail. So, yeah. yeah. And you can just do, I mean, a self-defense course is the obvious good one that you could do that would, you wouldn't require you to dole out ranks and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. for sure. For sure. Great advice. So where can people find you? Um, I'm just going to give you one uh, domain, one website to go to, and uh, that way people can download some of my materials for free. So if uh, listeners go to freedojobook.com, freedojobook.com, they can download a couple of my books for free and kind of check out my stuff, you know, without really having to uh, spend any money and you know, um, gamble on a person maybe that they've never heard of before or something. So, so yeah, go to freedojobook.com and, and you can download some of my materials for free and check it out. Awesome. Um, I will say again, highly recommended the paid stuff as well. Uh, if you enjoy his free stuff, don't be cheap. <laughs> Everything is reasonably priced. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I, I understand, you know, there, you know, I get, it's funny because one of my, uh, one of my clients, longtime clients, uh, kind of a former client now, but he's still, we're still in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, Seb, um, Seb Bates, he's an amazing guy. And, uh, he bought my book when he was 16. And wow. this was back when I was charging a lot for that book and for the course and everything, you know, that went with it. I mean, it was a, a significant amount of money for him and he bought it long before he wanted to start teaching martial arts. And, and uh, studied the materials and so forth, saved up for it. And, you know, he, he contacted me to thank me recently and said, you know, it's interesting looking back because now this guy, he owns multiple schools, you know, he has, you know, schools in, in two different countries. And, you know, I mean, he's just, his, I think he, he told me his business is doing millions a year right now. His martial wow. arts. Wow. Amazing. I'm so proud of him. Um, but he told me, he said, you know, looking back, Mike, honestly, he's like, you don't realize it at the time, but when you look back and you see how, 
one small decision can, you know, your entire future can hinge on it or can influence your future and send you in a completely different trajectory. And, and, you know, he was kind enough to say that reading my book was one of those, one of those, you know, uh, events for him in his life, which I, I really appreciated. So, but, uh, you know, I, I get not everybody can afford to, you know, spend yeah. you know, $100, $200 on coaching. So, which is why I have the books on Amazon. So people can go to Amazon or they can go to my bookstore and buy them and they're pretty inexpensive. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that story. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you inviting me on. And if you want to have me back sometime to talk about other stuff, you know, just uh, feel free to invite. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.